With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With a new podcast every day of the Premier League season, this is Football Social Daily. Welcome to another Football Social Daily. We're all frantically checking our emails this morning, just in case there's a nasty one from the bosses today, because it would appear we have officially entered sacking season, as this weekend saw the fourth and fifth Premier League managers of the season get their marching orders after just 11 games. Daniel Farker has been handed his P45 by Norwich, whilst Dean Smith has failed to meet expectations at Aston Villa, and now he finds himself looking for a new job as well. To talk us through that and ponder who might be throwing their hats into the rings as replacements, we've got Niall McCord. Hello, Niall. Good morning. Uh, the concerning thing is you are the boss and I'm going on holiday next week, so I won't be checking my emails. So I might come back to no job. Well, I'm not making any promises at this stage. <laughs> Marley Anderson with us as well. How are you doing, Marley? Yeah, good. I'm hoping I don't get sacked because I've got a, a very expensive wedding to pay off in about 20 days time. So I, I could really use the uh, continuous employment. Thank you very much. And you've both put yourselves in very foolishly vulnerable positions. You've only got yourself to blame whatever happens over the next few hours. But let's talk about two guys who do find themselves out of work. Dean Smith, Daniel Farker. First off, before we get stuck into the specifics of each of these guys getting the sack, has this season been more brutal than others previously because we're only 11 games in five managers gone four of those managers are from the bottom five teams only Sean Dyche is holding on to his position at Burnley there does it feel like the axe is swinging wildly this season Niall more than previous I don't know it's hard because it's one of those things where it only seems to be contained within a season if that makes sense like I can't really remember last season in terms of sackings. Does that make sense? There weren't many. I think last season was quite like, I think because of the whole COVID situation, it didn't feel like there was as many managers losing their jobs, I think, last season. You couldn't go and get a, a foreign manager, could you? Because they couldn't physically travel to yeah, the country. That's true. <laughs> yeah, I think that's true. And also, even just to build on that point, if I think back two seasons ago and three seasons ago, it's hard to visualise 
who was in charge where and when and at what time and when they got sacked because kind of we're always living in the present when it comes to the Premier League mm. and I think that is kind of the point I want to make it does feel like the axe is swinging wildly and you've got managers ducking left right and centre I mean Ole Gunnar Solskjaer at the moment is like a prime Muhammad Ali just bobbing and weaving out of the way of every <laughs> single uh, swing of that axe at the moment it seems like but I definitely think that as I mentioned on last week's podcasts we're in an era now in Premier League football and just in the modern game in general where managers staying at a club for 20 years doesn't happen anymore. That is not a narrative that exists in the Premier League anymore. Sir Alex Ferguson, Arsene Wenger, managers like that staying at a club for decades, it just doesn't exist. It, it's it's fabled. You just don't see that anymore. I mean, Sean Dyche staying at Burnley for eight years, that's an anomaly in itself. If you look at managers in the Premier League and how long they stay on average at clubs, three years is a good shift. And so, I mean, mm. we, we talk about Daniel Farker. He's been there, I think, four or five years. I think he was appointed in 2017, four years ago. Dean Smith, over three years, he's been the manager of Aston Villa Football Club and he's brought them success. But now we don't have an environment in which managers are perceived to stay at a club for a long period of time and build a dynasty and build a legacy. Someone like Jurgen Klopp at Liverpool, for example, and Pep Guardiola at Manchester City, their success is what keeps them in the job. And I definitely think that we're a nation now, particularly when it comes to football, which looks at the short term. No, short term success is important. The new manager, whoever that is, that comes into Villa or Norwich and they start winning games, it's the right decision to sack Farker and to sack Dean Smith. Because that, that's what people want. They want the immediacy. They want the results. And that is the environment that we're in now in modern football. Giving managers time is something we hear a lot of people say, oh, he needs time to do this or he needs time to do that. And I feel like we're kind of on the seesaw between giving managers time and we've seen enough, something needs to give. Because you can't sack the players, you can only sack the manager. So I feel a little bit conflicted when it comes to talking about managers being sacked because I never like to much like most pundits and we hear them say this on the TV all the time I never like to say a manager should be sacked and someone should lose their job because no one ever goes into a job particularly a manager wanting to fail and it just feels like we can go into a conversation about managers losing their jobs and say it's not nice to talk about it and we don't want it to happen but we also need to come to the realization that it's the inevitable way things work in the modern game that managers are going to be dismissed if they're not getting the job done and unfortunately for those two managers we talk about they weren't doing well enough at Aston Villa and Norwich City respectively so maybe it does feel like this season is slightly different to others in terms of sackings coming in a real flurry started with obviously Cisco Mignoth at Watford and then we've had Steve Bruce and we've had Nuno Espirito Santo and now Smith and Farker both over the course of this weekend that's you know, a quarter of the Premier League have sacked their manager already and we're a quarter of the way through the season. So it does feel like a lot. And I think that's just because they've come in a cluster. But I'm also starting to wonder whether I should be surprised at the fact that so many managers have been sacked because that's just the way football works now. Like I said before, if you're in a job around three years, you've exceeded expectations. You've bucked the trend. And I think that's just the, the way football is nowadays, particularly in the Premier League. 
Well, we're going to get stuck into the Daniel Farker situation very soon. But before we do that, let's talk about Dean Smith's departure at Aston Villa. So let's get stuck into the detail of this sacking. And to do that, we're joined by Neil Dunworth from the love of Paul McGrath, the excellent Aston Villa podcast that you can find on the Sports Social Podcast Network via sport-social.co.uk. Just click the word podcasts at the top. It will take you through to all the podcasts on the network. But Neil, thanks for coming on, firstly. Thanks very much for having me, guys. Is this a bit of a surprise that Dean Smith has gone at this stage of the season after just 11 games for you? It's not a surprise judging on the narrative that was out there amongst a portion of the fan base and amongst uh, some portions of of, uh, local media and things like that because it's not really just been the last 11 games for Dean Smith. It's been really the year of 2021. Um, And before I go any further, I am very much... Uh, disappointed that Dean Smith has been uh, relieved of his duties. I, he is to me. He has been one of the most, um, uh, how will I put this? One of the most passionate, one of the most genuine managers that I've had in my thirty-five years uh, following Aston Villa Football Club. Um, he would be very much up there with with managers who brought us success, like uh, Ron Atkinson or John Gregory. Um, I would have him up there above uh, even managers like Martin O'Neill, who really uh, put a nice stamp on us during the mid uh, mid noughties uh, when when Randy Lerner took over the club. But what Dean Smith did for this club is um, is very much uh, it's very much something that I think that uh, a lot of a, a lot of fans will look back or should look back in a very romantic way, having one of our own that uh, took the club in dire straits from how Steve Bruce uh, had left it. Steve Bruce had a decent aging squad in the championship, but didn't know how to use them. Dean Smith comes in. We go on a 10 match winning streak, get to the playoffs and get promoted. And very much so wherever Aston Villa go from here, if they kick on towards the upper echelons of the league, which is, we know is obviously very difficult. Um, we will always, well, I personally will always look back with great, great fondness on Dean Smith's tenure as manager. Um, but to say, was it a surprise? I don't think it was because there was a lot of people talking for it and some, some portions of the fans were calling for it. Um, I think myself, it was premature, but uh, whether it came this week or whether it came closer to the January window, results would have had to have picked up for him, I think, to have uh, unanimous support within the boardroom and within the, within the fan base once more. Obviously, it's come right on the cusp of the international break. And for some people, that's a good time to replace a manager because it gives them two weeks to kind of bed in, get their feet under the table at the club. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, some might argue it's a good bit of respite for Villa that maybe they can come back after the international break and put those poor results behind them. So it kind of feels like a a double-edged sword in that respect. It does. And I suppose, look, if you're being pragmatic about changing your manager, you want to give, and you're bringing somebody in, you want to give somebody time to come in and bed their ideas in with at least a portion of the squad. Obviously, uh, Aston Villa, and this is a testament to how, how, how well Dean Smith has done with players and developed players at Aston Villa. There is now a time when Aston Villa's first 11, you're talking nine of them are on international duty. Uh, two years ago, that wasn't the case. Tyrone Mings wasn't on international duty. Um, you, you know, there's, there, there was a lot of players. Pat, Matty Cash wasn't Polish uh, two years ago. You know, there were things like this uh, that <laughs> Dean Smith has done and has developed these players to, to, to get them to a certain level. But so I agree with I look I agree if there was a time to do it now was the time because obviously you want to have someone to bed in their ideas to bed in uh, before January see what the squad is liking and and uh, and assimilate uh, who's there into their into their ideologies and maybe then the, the, these owners are going to spend big again in January they they have to they 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 have to spend big again if they're going to bring in somebody but my 
my the the other part for this for me is that with only having two weeks and so many people being away, it just does kind of temper my excitement. Like, obviously, you're going to be excited to see who the new manager is because if you're not excited, you're always just going to be destined for 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 uh, for, for being a misery guts, really. So while I didn't want Dean, Dean Smith to leave, I'm a bit anxious about who they're going to bring in based on the fact that it's a, it's a, uh, a quick turnaround of, of two weeks. And some of the names that have been mentioned so far, I have to admit... And I know we're probably going to get onto it again in a moment. They're very gamble orientated, whereas I think maybe keeping the stability of Dean Smith in place, I don't think Villa would have gotten relegated if Dean Smith stayed for the whole season. Would Would Dean Smith still be in a job, Neil, if Jack Grealish was still there? Because a lot of the, a lot of it's been labelled, a lot of him going is being kind of levelled at the players who came in to replace Jack Grealish with that money not stepping up to the mark. I think I think I think both of them are correct in in. In in a sense, Jack Grealish is like like Dean Smith's. <laughs> Dean Smith copped a lot of flack for his his tactic being get the ball to Jack Grealish. Now, I don't know if you're any bit of a decent manager at all, and you've got an absolutely transcendent transcendent talent like like Jack Grealish on your team. You know why would you not get the ball to him? You know, so I, I don't I don't see that as a negative, and that was labelled at him an awful lot in the last twenty four hours. Oh, he only had one one tactic: kick the ball to Grealish and see what Grealish could do. You know, you're going to use your best player. If your best player is a ball carrier, you're going to get the ball ball to him as quick as possible. You know, arguably, arguably in the early days of Guardiola, Guardiola just made the guys pass the ball around, tire the defence out, give it to Messi, and let Messi go on a mazy run around the field and stick it in the back of the net. You know, you could arguably say that about Guardiola as well. But when you mentioned the players that were brought in as well. I think it's very unfair and I would say that I'm a small bit surprised at some of the comments that I'm seeing and some of some of the um, the comments I'm seeing attributed to people associated with the club. There was one comment that I saw. Obviously, it didn't have anyone's name beside it. It was a source said um, that Bailey, Buendia and Ings have only played on the field for 35 minutes together so far this season. And that that looks like a very shocking amount of time. It looks like, well, what's the man? Why isn't the manager picking these guys? Why 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 isn't he 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 you know using the talents at his at his disposal? Well, Ings has been injured for the last two to three games. Bailey's been injured twice already since he's joined the team. And Emi Buendia went on international duty with, with with Argentina and had to sit out two games after he came back because they had to fly back through Croatia, you know, and he came back unfit. You know, there was little bits and pieces that there's a lot of context. And I think this is one of the biggest things. And I'm going to go into a philosophical debate about football and football in 2021 at the moment, but no one cares about context anymore. And I think that that's very much a narrative that gets lost unless you're, well, it even gets lost amongst us Aston Villa fans discussing it amongst ourselves. But if you're speaking to any other um, any other fan, they always say, well, you never really replaced Grealish. And I'm kind of saying, well, we don't know if we did because the guys have been injured since they've came into the club. And, 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 and I I think that context is important uh, important to have but it is it probably is right to say that the guys haven't stepped up but then the context behind it is he really hasn't had them at his disposal and so much so that he moved to a 3-5-2 formation to play with wingbacks because uh, because Bailey, Bertrand Traore, Buendia um, were, were all injured and uh, yeah it was just a, it was just one of those kind of uh, a litany of, of unfortunate events I think befell bef- befell him at at a certain stage and he could never really just kind of regain the narrative from it again people talk about the Grealish thing Neil and you've encapsulated Mm -hmm. it quite nicely there but when we were looking ahead to the Southampton game last week on the podcast I think the highlight for me was how leaky Villa have been at the back 
I think before that game you had conceded 12 goals in the last four games. So a lot of the people from the outside, the neutrals, will look at it and say, oh, well, they never replaced Jack Grealish for the reasons you've just pinpointed. But do you think some of the concerns that Dean Smith has, has come across have come at the back? Because to concede 12 in four games in a string of four defeats is never a good look, no matter who the manager is. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that is the narrative that Dean Smith couldn't hide from. You know, I've spoken there that, that the narrative that was, that was out there about the players not, not replacing Jack Grealish, that, that was... It was what they call in the industry a lazy take. But uh, <laughs> this one, with regards to conceding goals, you can't run away from that one, and they absolutely did. Um, biggest biggest issue with the, with the concession of goals for Aston Villa was, uh, well, a lot is that Matty Target hasn't regained his form of last season. It's It's been a noticeable for, uh, dip in form for him. It's not all his fault, though, because our midfield two years ago in 2019 was, was designed to be a passive midfield, allowed, allowed teams to play through you, but build up a bank, a low block based on the, on the edge of your box and defend like maniacs there and it, it in 2019 it didn't work 2020 it did work we got a small bit more of um Douglas Louise had came into his own in 2020. John McGinn was playing there, and we had an out ball, obviously, to Jack Grealish and to um and and to Ross Barkley at the start of the season, who was a completely different man from the Ross Barkley at the end of the season for Aston Villa. Let me tell you that. But um, I think where a lot of the issues are coming from there is Douglas Louise has basically played for two and a half years straight with no break. Um, his form has dipped. Uh, if I had one criticism of recruitment, and and I know that Dean Smith isn't fully the Mister Recruitment or wasn't fully Mr. Recruitment there considering we have a director of football and a full recruitment staff in the club now which which is one thing I will I will um, I, I will get on to in a moment about Dean Smith and, and, and the progression he's brought to the club but we never brought in that big strapping defensive midfielder that old style Papa Booba Diop big as tall as he is wide <laughs> the you know, wardrobe. wardrobe exactly the wardrobe the man who will get in there and kick you up in the air and let you know that he's there and 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 head away across that comes into the box or you know get in the way of things and we've got we've got these very dainty neat midfielders and it's it's probably one criticism i have the the club never went out and found somebody like that that could fit into dean smith's tactics because he really does play with a six and two eights um in, in midfield he does like to play that single pivot uh more so than the double pivot and you know if you're going to play a single pivot with, with a midfield with john mcginn who's only what five foot nine and about i don't know about 10 stone soaking wet and then you're going to have emmy buendia beside him who's even smaller and and and, and lighter you're going to need a bit of heft in the back there and that's not saying that we would drop douglas louise i would uh, i would actually like to have the options in there to be able to change it up but it's um it was one of the concerns i had and i think that's where a lot of our goals come from we don't pick up the second balls in the edge of the area and also i think teams specifically if you look at the watford game they really attacked matty target down the left hand side against west ham both goals came from that left hand side the, the declan rice and the ben johnson goals just people not closing closing them down quick enough but it's it's been something that I and you know what I genuinely think it's fixable, but it just wasn't being fixed quick enough. If that makes sense, and obviously as you say, twelve goals in four games that's that's a record that you can't erase, and, and it's very difficult to stand over it if you're trying to say we will get it right. So the official reason that Dean Smith was let go, according to the chief executive, was that there has not been continuous improvements in results, performance, and league position, and that's what they're looking for. So obviously the new manager. He's got a bit of a job to do when he comes in. Who's it going to be? I mean, you mentioned some of the people that are being touted are kind of those Hollywood names, Steven Gerrard, 
John Terry, Frank Lampard, they're names that people recognise, even if it's not from their managerial careers, it's from their playing careers. Who do you think comes in and what kind of job do they have to do? What's kind of number one on their priority list when they take over? Great question. I, th- I think it's probably, I think it's probably the, qu- the question there's, the question should be even a small bit more, small bit more nuanced because, and I'll go back to something I mentioned there about Dean Smith. The Dean Smith on the field was very clear to see he had a, he had a game plan and he played it. But off the field, Dean Smith has been the only holdover of footballing knowledge within the whole club for the last three years. Um, obviously coming up from the championship. And, and it's relevant that, that I mentioned this first before I go on to who we would bring in because Dean Smith willfully wanted to work under a director of football and he wanted to create the structure. He actually made himself vulnerable in a way. And this is the manager, the guy. The guy wanted Aston Villa to 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 exceed to to exceed their expectations so much so that he put in an oversight division above him, essentially with Johan Lange as the as the director of football. He brought in a recruitment team of the likes of Rob McKenzie. Of um, oh gosh, some of them are, are are escaping me now. They created a full wing in the academy of of big. Um, name well, basically they just basically poached all of West Bromwich Albion's uh, coaches and and then went and poached some English uh, underage uh, coaches and 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 made a made a, a a good stab of the academy and the academy are really rocketing at the moment. Just really exciting kids coming through and a lot of that was Dean Smith's vision to bring in the likes of Mark Harrison to look after the academy to work under a director of football of the kin of uh, of Johan Langer who really brought FC Copenhagen to to you know to a good spot within within your European football and obviously bring in the likes of Rob McKenzie who we all know is famed for for finding the likes of Riyad Mahrez and and these guys for Leicester so Dean Smith created this structure around him now when I go and I look and he made himself vulnerable because you're always able to get rid of the manager and pl- plop a manager into that structure um, and everybody else keeps their job that's how European models work and that's how probably the bigger teams are able to go after and get rid of a Pellegrini and get a Guardiola as long as he's willing to work within that structure you don't lose too much of your identity and, 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 and the entity of the football club now who do I think can fit into that, that, that area you mentioned Steven Gerrard and you mentioned his celebrity status. Um, I think Steven Gerrard would be, for me, he would be slightly underwhelming. Not because of the guy he is and for the the icon that he is. Because let's face it, there are very few people that have the heart and the will to win like Steven Gerrard and have gone on and, be, and basically, yes, he didn't get a Premier League, but he went and he put his money on the table in the Champions League. And, and, and arguably, that's, that's a hell of a lot more difficult to win. Um, so from his mentality, you would hope that and Aston Villa maybe are lacking a bit of that mentality, that kind of ruthless aggression that, that, that uh, Stephen Gerrard would bring. But I'm just curious that the gambling nature of bringing him in, considering that he's in a two-horse race up, up in Scotland, and no offence to any Scottish football fans that are listening, because, but you know he's never going to go on a five-match losing streak in Scotland because he'll always come up against a, a, a team that they will go out and comfortably beat 2-0. You know? and, and, and it's... It's just that I'm just not sure of his credentials based on what he's done. He could turn out to be an absolutely fantastic manager. I don't know. But it's 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 more of an, an indictment of the overall uh, catalogue of managers that are available. This morning it's been muted that uh, Roberto Martinez is somebody that is on this, the shortlist. That is going to go down like a lead balloon with some fans, fans because they will remember him from his time at Wigan. But for me, the football that Belgium play is quite exciting and it's quite good. And I know that a lot of people would say that, yes, it goes through uh, Kevin De Bruyne and you need to have a big striker up top. 
but I think he, he the premise of his of his ideology is very much so just that you know playing a four two three one and yes we will concede goals but we're doing that already but what we're not doing is we're we were, we've been limiting ourselves to crosses all season so if we can get a bit more creative in, in, up top with the likes of Buendia the likes of Bailey the likes of Bertrand Traore Danny Ings and so on and so forth up uh, and and Ollie Watkins up front that could be quite exciting and um, Rav Hasselhutl is somebody that's been um, been muted as well. If anybody can can decipher his tactics and, and and tell me what he likes to play more more than often, please answers on a postcard because he's one of the most tactically <laughs> diverse. Um, he's one of the most tactically diverse managers in Europe at the moment, and comes from a very good stock of of uh, Leipzig, Salzburg, um you know he's grown up through that kind of era of football management under the Ralph Ragnacks and stuff. Rag, Ralph Ragnacks or Ragnacks can't never know how to pronounce it. Um, under his stable of management, so. It, there's very much a lot of a lot of different styles and types in the melting pot here. For me, I'm going to go with somebody completely left field. I'm going to go with AVB, and I would think that Andre Villas Boas, not just because it would make a great headline, um, for the AVB part, uh, in 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 one of the tabloids, but. Um, I think that I think he's gotten a raw deal to say that he's failed in the Premier League. I think is is pretty harsh because uh, when he was with Spurs, he had he brought Spurs to their highest points total of all time at that time, seventy two points. Um, Pochettino came in and only finished above that twice with eighty six and seventy seven points in his tenure as 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 manager. And I know the tenures are different. Poch obviously been there for a lot longer than AVB, but AVB had a higher win record. And also, this is another thing: AVB and Dean Smith are, are very very similar in one way, and probably one way and one way only. Um, AVB was there when Gareth Bale was sold for a hundred million or however much he was sold for, and they brought in the litany of people to to replace him. And Dean Smith was there when Jack Grealish was sold for 100 million and they've brought in a litany of people to replace him. And I wonder, does would, would AVB like that back, like that situation back to prove this? Well, listen, it wasn't, I, I could have turned that around and he wasn't exactly in a bad position when when uh, when he was sacked, but um, I wonder would he like to have that period of time back to prove to himself that uh, it wasn't his fault that Spurs, considering he'd given them so much success the year before so somebody like an AVB I think would be an interesting appointment and, and I know I'd get panned by other Aston Villa fans they would pillar me from they would absolutely <laughs> you know slaughter me for that but um, I, I think realistically what the overall the overarching feeling is that I don't think it's as an inspiring a group so whatever happens we have to get behind our man and we have to trust that um, that he's going to be a good manager and I'm going to bring it all the way back full circle as well that this group and it will be Johan Langa I think that will make the make the decision on manager this manager may not be the sexiest manager that we've ever seen he may not have the best win percentage and a lot of people will look at that but what he will do is he will fit into the existing systems and structures and be given the best opportunity to succeed of I would go so far as to say he'll be given a, as good an opportunity to, to succeed as any Aston Villa manager that has ever come through the doors of Villa Park and uh, that is exciting even though we don't know who it is Will, will I be sceptical if it is somebody like a Steven Gerrard? I will, but you can be guaranteed that that, that, that scepticism will, will be relieved as soon as we start winning games because at the end of the day, no matter who's the manager, if he's winning games, he's the right guy. Neil, thank you very much for your insight on the situation at Aston Villa. I know you've got a new episode out now with all the reaction to Dean Smith's sacking, so you can find that podcast. You can find it on the Sports Social Network, Sport social.co.uk you can just search for the love of Paul McGrath wherever it is you find your podcasts Neil thanks very much 
Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back to Football Social Daily, your daily Premier League podcast. And we've teamed up with Beer 52 ahead of the Christmas period. So right now, if you listen to Football Social Daily, you get two extra free beers. So that's 10 free beers when you sign up at beer52.com forward slash football. All you need to do to get your crate of free beer, have I mentioned the fact it's free, is pay the postage costs of five ninety five. Beer 52 is the world's largest beer club and I really like these clubs because sometimes you think you know your favourite beer. You might have one beer that you go to all the time and it's the one you go to whether it's picking a beer out of your fridge or whether you're in a pub or something. But the thing about these little crates of goodness that you get with all their hoppy loveliness is you sometimes find a beer that you've not had before something you've not tasted and that can potentially be your next favorite beer it's a really good way to try different beers from all around the world and the way beer 52 do it they do it very differently is every month it's a crate of beer that comes from a different part of the world so it might be polish beer one day it might be german beer the other you get a magazine with it you get a snack as well and you can choose whether you want dark or light beer as well plus once you've signed up you can cancel at any time if you want more info or you fancy signing up to get that free crate with the 595 postage beer52.com forward slash football one man who is no doubt fancying a bit of a drink at the moment is daniel farker who is no longer norwich city manager we've already talked about dean smith not marley being dumped by aston villa now, the sacking of Farker came after the Canaries' first win of the season. Were you surprised by the timing in that case? Uh, yeah, I was. Um, look, I know Norwich have been poor um, for, you know, all the season, basically. And I think I said a couple of weeks ago, it's time to just have a gamble on someone else because you, the the air of inevitability around Norwich going down is... is uh, it's like a hands around your neck you know you know it's going to happen there's nothing you can do to stop it you're just waiting to go waiting to go to sleep so it's it's not a surprise but the timing of it was especially when you hear him um like obviously we know that the decision had already been made before the game um and you can tell from what Fark said after the the Brentford win that he didn't have a clue because he was like this is a good good um group of players will keep fighting all the rest of it. He said all the things to sort of try and G his team up and say, you know, we've got a long way to go, but we're, we're getting better. Um, and then two hours later, he, he was gone. Mm. So it's clear they decided he was going, but not told him. Um, it Which was is fair enough, timing. isn't it? Because you don't want a dead duck manager looking after it, because every point is important for Norwich City at the moment. So even if they've got a new manager lined up probably yeah. two weeks ago, you're not going to tell him beforehand when he's because you, you won't get the same level of performance. Yeah, it's it's almost like uh, they decided like if we end this if we end this season if if we sorry if we end this weekend bottom of the pile he's going mm. and he's got them off the bottom of the pile at five o'clock and then Newcastle draw with Brighton and put them back on the bottom <laughs> and it's like well you haven't achieved uh, uh, achieved your objective so you're gone because uh, it came out just as Newcastle and Brighton had uh, the full time whistle had went because it was half seven I think it was. Um, and the Newcastle game finished at about 20 past seven. So it was a weird one, but did it need to happen? I think so, yeah. Um, 
Fark's races run. He had a go at keeping them up the last time. Didn't work. Brought them straight back, which was fine, brilliant, well done to him. Um, but as I said, you know, you, you are expecting to go back down again after, you know, no wins in 10 and then finally winning your 11th game is is great. But ultimately it was too little too late and uh, it's time to see what they can do. But as we've sort of mentioned before, like who's out there that's going to come and save Norwich? Because if they'd have done this a month ago, they could have had a real go at Eddie Howe. Mm. Um, not that he's sort of guaranteed to keep them up, but he's, he's a good coach and he's... Uh, attacking and, and all the rest of it but he's coming to Newcastle and uh, it seems like Norwich are scrapping around now looking for for somebody else It did feel that Fark's departure from Norwich was inevitable Niall as their relegation feels inevitable as well but can a manager come in and do a better job because Norwich seemed to have that level of ambition where at the moment and I mean this in the, with the best will in the world to Norwich fans but they don't seem to have the ambition to be any more than a Fulham, a West Brom, a kind of yo-yo club that bounces between the Premier League and the Championship. I'm not sure that's fair. I think that they obviously do have the ambitions to stay in the Premier League. They just don't have the quality to do so. And that's the issue. They're too good for the Championship and not good enough for the Premier League, as more than one person has highlighted, not just on this podcast, but kind of across football media in the last few months. They looked an unstoppable force in the championship and now they just look like a shell of a side in the Premier League. And I think the problem for me is exactly what I mentioned a few weeks ago when they're on a dreadful run of form of which they only just ended at the weekend by beating Brentford, by the way. It's that I think the players they've got, a lot of them are the same players that were in the Premier League last time. And there's too many scars there. They got absolutely battered from pillar to post in the Premier League last time they were in the top flight. And... You've got the same players who have been through that, that are carrying that baggage and have got that scarring from getting whooped in the Premier League every week. And I just don't think it helps. You've got the same manager who has had a year to focus on being successful in the Championship, but also was out of his depth in the Premier League last time. And he's out of his depth in the Premier League this time. And whether that's an unfair comment will remain to be seen. Will Daniel Farker get another job at another Premier League club? Perhaps. I don't think he's a bad coach by any stretch, actually. I think he's he's done very well with some of the young players that he's brought through at Norwich. But it was just clear for all to see that it wasn't working. I think that part of the issue is that baggage that I mentioned, that sort of mental weight that they were carrying from getting beat in the Premier League week in, week out last time. And I think that that does play on your mind, whether it's consciously or subconsciously. Those players will remember having that mindset of we're going to lose every week and that's exactly the case that we see now and I think that's the issue now obviously they won at the weekend against Brentford and some people are saying oh it's a bit weird to sack him after a win I get that but also if you just take into account points five points this season out of a possible 30 35 points or whatever it is that's not acceptable that is not acceptable. And listen, Norwich City will be glad for that three points because at stages this season, I think I think that the Derby County record of 11 points, the worst total of a Premier League season ever, has been under threat. I really do think that that has been the case at times this season. Imagine if Norwich City got relegated with fewer than 11 points this season. The embarrassment would be beyond belief. It's their goal difference that's particularly shocking, isn't it? Minus 21 after 11 yeah. games. Well, he got smacked for seven by Chelsea and the thing is, he was, he was kind of clinging on to a job after that and I'm surprised they gave him this week's game. But 
what we do know about Norwich, and that's why I kind of don't agree about what you said about that maybe they're not ambitious enough to be in the Premier League. I don't think that's fair. Of course they want to stay up. Absolutely. I just don't think they have the quality or the capacity to do so. We well, have praised... They're different things. Wanting to stay up is a different thing from showing the ambition to stay up. And if you're a Premier League I club, don't see how that's how they're different. Because everyone wants to stay up, but the ambition is, is kind of... And it, my, ambition, saying... my ambition is to is to get to the end of this podcast. I want to get to the end of this podcast. <laughs> but it's different. It's like the investment. If, you, if a club is showing ambition, to show ambition means you need to invest I in I think that's place. where the word ambition has been scrambled. I mean, uh, Norwich's ambition is to be a stable Premier League club. Now, have they had the right backing or have they been prepared to put in the financial clout that they need to do so? That's a question. I don't think that their ambition can be questioned. They want, their ambition is, their aspiration is to remain a solid Premier League club. They're just not good enough to do it. Well, they haven't got the money as well, though. That's that's the thing. Like... Yeah, well, that's the point I was going to come on to. We've praised, and actually we've had Matt Jarvis, a former Norwich player, on Football Social Daily a few times throughout this season. And he's praised Stuart Webber, who's the kind of sporting director at Norwich, and how straight talking he is, and how the kind of the players and the management know where they stand with Stuart Webber. And actually, he's quite shrewd when it comes to the business, maybe not in terms of the transfers or whatnot, but with the way that the club is run operationally and on that level, he's quite smart. And I suppose he could easily have dismissed Daniel Farker after the Norwich game, but it feels like they're doing the opposite of what Steve Bruce or what happened to Steve Bruce at Newcastle. You know, Newcastle United's new owners came in, sacked Steve Bruce, and they've taken two and a half weeks to find a new manager in Eddie Howe. And he's still not in situ yet. He was in the stands against Brighton, but he wasn't in the dugout. I feel like... It was almost as if Norwich had made, made this decision three or four weeks ago and they've been trying to find a manager and by the end of this week, we'll find out who it is and they might already you know, be close to signing a contract with a new manager, basically having someone lined up ready to come in. So I think, like you mentioned before, it was almost as if Norwich had already made their minds up that regardless of the result against Brentford, who, by the way, were a championship team last season, so it shouldn't really be much of a surprise that Norwich managed to beat a team last season. It goes back to that mental scarring I was talking about. They were playing against Brentford in the same league last season. Those players know they can beat Brentford. They were better than them last term. Whereas you come up against all the other Premier League teams and they got smashed all over the park two seasons ago. So I definitely think that maybe it's a it's a business decision from Norwich City, which is taken a little bit longer than expected just so they can get themselves sorted behind the scenes. And it appears harsh, but when you look at it on the face value in terms of the statistics and the numbers, it hasn't been good enough for a long time. And I'm not really shocked that he's gone. We probably aren't going to recognise whoever Norwich City brings in. They've got a habit of pulling a rabbit out of the hat when it comes to managers. They don't go for the obvious choices. I don't think any of the ones that are being shortlisted by the bookies are probably going to be the ones that Norwich City go for in the end. But whoever comes in, Marley, have they got a bit of a job on their hands? Because certainly it would appear that, yeah. <laughs> well, not just from a footballing point of view, but from a point of view of winning over the dressing room, because it doesn't seem like Farker ever lost the dressing room. We saw some of the social media posts. Very different scenario to Nuno Espirito Santa getting sacked by Spurs. We saw the players publicly coming out and thanking the boss and being very gushing and glowing about his time at Norwich City. So whoever comes in, I guess they've got to not only fix what's going wrong on the pitch, but also win over a dressing room or have some emotional connection with the old manager. Yeah, I, I'm not sure it's the hardest dressing room to to win over, to be honest. Um, I feel like even though everybody knew, like everybody might well have liked Daniel Fark and he, he did seem a, a well-liked guy, you know, the way he talked. He was never, he was never abrasive, was he? He was always very, very well-spoken, very... 
uh, respectful and things like that. So he will have had a lot of friends in the dressing room, but at the same time, I feel like everybody knew that he was he was living on borrowed time when you go 10 games without a win, you know. It's, it's not going to come as a surprise. So, um, you know, they're all they're all professionals. They they know this is they know the game. It's not a surprise to anyone that a manager who hasn't won in ten games gets sacked. Yes, the timing was a bit weird, but you know, it it was always going to happen. So it was worse than that, though, Marley. It was not just no win in ten games. It was the worst losing streak for a manager in Premier League history across the two seasons. Yeah, it was shocking. It was absolutely yeah. shocking. So I'm not surprised. I mean. You know, I know, I know we spoke kind of on on text between us, us three, when, when he got sacked. And Jim, you seemed quite surprised that he'd gone just at the timing of it. But you know, one win against Brentford isn't going to stop Norwich going down. They're just not good enough. And, and the uh, you know, I don't think this new manager coming in is going to stop Norwich going down. But it might make them be a bit more competitive, which is what they need, I think. It's not necessarily, it wasn't necessarily the fact he was sacked. It was, it is unusual for teams to sack managers after a win but as you've said it actually suggests that Norwich City have done it right they haven't it isn't like a a hair trigger reaction it's something that is planned and in the pipeline and the timing potentially was right particularly going into the international break and a couple of months to assess your squad before the window opens as well so Daniel Farker's got sorry a couple of months a couple of months he needs a couple of months a couple of weeks that's a couple of months. Well, two months till the transfer window opens. Oh, sorry. I thought you meant the international break was a couple of months. It feels like a couple of months. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Do not need England versus Albania and San Marino in my life anytime oh, soon. I'm looking forward to it. I'll I'm getting a day it. off to celebrate. <laughs> uh, the f- current favourite to replace Daniel Farker is Frank Lampard, by the way. That would be an interesting appointment for Norwich City. Don't Definite do it, Frank. Relegation what do, nailed what on. does he get from that, though? Who? An impending, impending relegation. Yeah. Everybody's written him off a little bit after Chelsea. You know, he's 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 took a bit of a a dent in his promising young manager thing, and, and Villa and, jobs available as well. No, ah, that's that's a bizarre one. For Steve me, Bruce also we'll in see. the running, Marley. Hey, Steve, I think I think did he play for Norwich? I think I'm sure I seen mm. someone uh, tweet a picture of him holding up a Norwich uh, shirt. So oh. yeah, he's eleven to one at the moment. Anyway, Christ. With all these sackings, it might make our picks for heroes and villains a little bit obvious next, but that is exactly what we're going to do. We're all going to pick our heroes and villains to wrap up today's podcast, and we'll do it next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Welcome back to the podcast. A very quick game of heroes and villains to wrap up today's show, picking the highs and the lows from the Premier League weekend. Let's start with our heroes, and you can go first on this one, Marley. Yeah, I was hoping you wouldn't uh, come to me first on this one. <laughs> I'm struggling to pick my hero. All right, well, Niall can go first. Because then, I know you're going to pick it. someone West Ham, so I'm, I'm thinking of... So I'll go after you. Right, Niall's done his yeah. homework, so Niall can go first. <laughs> I'm the teacher's pet that's done my homework. Um... <laughs> My hero would be, for probably not the reasons you think, Roy Keane. Now, there's been a video oh, circulating on why. social media of Roy Keane. Is it Roy for offering Keane. that fella out? Yeah. It is for offering that fella <laughs> out. Yeah, it is. Um, not that I condone violence or anything like that, but just the way he stood up for himself. And I'll, I'll go on to my point now in the sense that Roy Keane is obviously passionate about Manchester United. He is not afraid to say what he thinks. And that is what a lot of people think is a studio persona. People think... Roy Keane on Sky Sports when he's a pundit and he sat in that chair on Super Sunday in his shirt and tie at Old Trafford where Manchester United have been beaten. 
It's all a show. He does it for the cameras. Roy Keane's box office. It gets Sky Sports views. Those things all might be true. But that doesn't mean that Roy Keane isn't that person off camera. And I don't know Roy Keane. I've never met Roy Keane. But it seems to me from that video that I saw that he's a nice enough man to sign autographs after a 2-0 home defeat in the Manchester derby and what was a terrible performance from Manchester United. Sign an autograph for fans after the game. And someone, I don't know what the altercation was, but you might have seen the video on social media. Someone, a fan presumably, calls him an unsavoury word and there's a bit of a to and fro. And Roy Keane stands up for himself. And, you know, he, he basically tells this fan where to go and then marches off into the into the sunset, so to speak, or into the rainy old Trafford car park where he actually walks off to. But I just thought it showed that Roy Keane as a personality is, is honest to himself on camera. That passion that you see coming through the lens at Sky Sports and onto your TV screen, that is the real Roy Keane. He cares deeply about Manchester United. He cares deeply about the club he used to play for being successful again and putting in a better performance than they did at the weekend. Now, it's a weird thing to do to choose as my hero, but I just think Roy Keane showed that he's the same guy off camera as he is on camera, and he's authentic. And I think there's a lot to say for that, because I think there are a lot of people that we see nowadays that aren't particularly authentic with how they are. And, um, uh, you know, Roy Keane wasn't afraid to, you know, to refuse the stick he was being given outside the ground. So although I don't condone any sort of violence, and we didn't see that, fans in particular feel all too protected, especially when they're in the stands, at the ability to be able to abuse players. And I know it's part of the game. A lot of people will say, oh, you know, we work hard Monday to Friday. We want to let our hair down. I want to call the players this. I want to say this. I want to shout this. Get my frustrations out. Yeah, I appreciate that. In a 90-minute in a period, it happens. But also, I think that Roy Keane, you're a brave man to do that to Roy Keane. And Roy Keane was doing nothing wrong, just signing autographs and uh, mm. someone basically got up in his face and I just quite enjoyed the way he stood up for himself and showed that true Roy Keane character that we all know and love. I agree. I enjoyed that moment. Abuse of any kind is not acceptable within football or outside of football. And actually, if more people stood up to it when people are being gobshites like that fella to Roy Keane outside the ground, whether it's abuse to you as an individual you're standing up against or abuse to other people, then it would probably go a long way to... Maybe you'd have to do it in a violent way. Just call it out, but it would go a long way to stopping abuse of any kind in football. My hero, though, to take it back to footballing matters, is Ben Johnson, who I think is the unsung hero of West Ham's season so far. I couldn't not mention West Ham now, currently third in the Premier League level points with Manchester City, nailed on for at least the Champions League spot, if not Premier League glory, I think we'll all agree. But Ben Johnson's been absolutely superb. Natural left back, he's come in at right back because of uh, Kufal's injury, and he's held that spot. Now, Sufal is kind of the two pronunciations of the same name differently there, Kufal and Sufal in one sentence. <laughs> Should That's your impressive. hero not have been Alison, Jim? <laughs> oh, God. yeah, maybe. He clearly, clearly had a bit of a backhander from Moyes beforehand, did Allison. But no, I think he's been absolutely superb this season. He's growing in maturity the last year and a half. It looks an absolute future star and just kept Mane completely out of the game, kept him so quiet in the game at the weekend. So Ben Johnson, unsung hero of West Ham, is my hero of the weekend and definitely one to watch for the next couple of years as well. Have you had time to think yet, Marley? I, yeah, I have. Um, I'm struggling, really. But, I mean, I can't... I know it's going to become a bit of a West Ham loving this, but it, it's probably just Moyes. Because he's got he's had a lot of stick over the years. 
Um, you know, Man United was probably the wrong decision, but something that you were never going to turn down to be the man who came in after Ferguson. You only get that opportunity once in your in your career. Um, Sociedad didn't go that well for him either. You know, a couple of other jobs were, were average. And then West Ham, you know, he saved them a couple of years ago, made them stable, and now he's got them into a genuinely very good-looking team. Um, but at the weekend, he's... He's done, he hasn't. This isn't the first time West Ham have done this this season because I've, I've, every time I've seen them, all the corners drop on the goalkeeper. Mm. And, you know, Dawson when he's playing, Ogbonna, Zuma, uh, whoever it is, Rice, they're all in there bullying the goalkeeper. And With Antonio standing right on the keeper's toes, just yeah. getting in the way, being a pain. Yeah, and he's built like a, you know, a, a brick, brick house basically, and he, Antonio as well. So you've got to get around him, you've got to wrestle him out the way, then you've got to punch... You got to jump and punch the ball ahead of one of the three centre backs that's flying in after it. So it's just taking that back to basics and and saying, right, you know, okay, your goalkeeper's, you know, one of the best in the world, but he's got to come and catch this cross in the midst of four absolute giants that are all sort of running towards the ball, and it becomes really hard. But it's really simple. It's really basic. But they do it well, and I think that's all West Ham do. They do the basics very, very well. Nothing fancy, you know. No, you know. Fluid positions and all this false nine and all that. It's just we're playing four at the back, two defensive midfielders that if you go past them, they'll boot you. Um, wingers that that do what they do, fullbacks that defend first and then attack second. Like the you know great quality from the from the left with Cresswell's crossing and set pieces and, and things like that. Um, and they've got enough creators in the team with Bowen and Ben Rama and Fornells, um, which is it's all just solid and it's hard to beat. And I seen something a couple of weeks ago that says um, it was when they beat uh, who did they beat last time? Not not the not not Liverpool at the weekend. They beat someone last week. Aston Villa last week, wasn't it? Was it Villa? Was it Villa was last it, week? Was it four one? Was it? Yeah. So yeah. Um, and somebody who I follow on Twitter who's just a, a an old footballer. I used to used to um, do some work with old non league footballer, and he retweeted the video of Rice and um, Rice and Zuma dancing away in the in the dressing room, and he just retweeted it and said like. A good a good dressing room will get you ten points a season. It will be because you all like each other and you all get on. And it's like the most underrated thing in football of when you like your teammates, you just work harder for them. And when you believe in the manager, you work harder. Like you, I think everybody who's played football at sometimes uh, at some level at any level, if you think one of your teammates is a bellend, you don't <laughs> you just you just don't work for him. And and same with the manager. If the manager t- favors certain people, um, you you just don't play for them in the same way and I think West Ham have got that to an absolute T they all believe in the manager they believe what they're doing they're in Europe they're fighting into the, to try and get into the top four again despite having lost Lingard who was the best player last season even though he was only there for six months probably um, it's just the togetherness is is superb and it's it's winning a lot of plaudits and rightly so Excellent. Music to my ears, Marley. Good pick. Right, let's wrap up with our villains very quickly Niall, you can go first as you went first on Heroes who's your villain? My villain is Jurgen Klopp. For whinging, is it, by any chance? For whinging, again. What did he, I missed this. I was meant to look for it and I forgot. Because I knew he was going to whinge as soon as he got beat. He complained about the referee. Oh, classic. He didn't give West Ham credit for being the better team. He whinged about the referee. Now, West Ham were the better team. Alisson made some mistakes. That happens in football. Jurgen Klopp knew that because Chelsea had dropped points to Burnley, Chelsea were top of the league going into this weekend. They were held 1-1 at Stamford Bridge by Burnley. He knew that Manchester City were probably going to end up beating uh, 
Manchester United. And by the time kickoff came for West Ham, those two results had already come in. City had won and Chelsea had dropped points. Obviously, Liverpool being in second um, means that if they had managed to pick up three points against West Ham, they would have closed the gap. They lost. And obviously he was frustrated about that. Now, I love Jurgen Klopp's mentality. He's a winner and he's he's a sore loser and he hates to lose every game. I completely understand that because I'm the same. I hate losing in anything and I'm a bit of a sore loser as well. But sometimes you just have to hold your hands up and say, well done to the opposition. They were better than us today. And Jurgen Klopp never does that, ever. It's always a refereeing decision or something to do with injuries or... Is some sort of excuse. The weather. The and, weather's a particular uh, the weather, way. Like, right, <laughs> yeah. You know, when it was windy and they had corners to deal with. It definitely wasn't windy at London Stadium last night when Alisson dropped everything that came his way. So I definitely think that Jurgen Klopp, as much as I love him and admire him for what he's done in the Premier League and for what he's done to Liverpool, he doesn't have to get on my nerves with the way he whinges, honestly. Mm. And I think part of it is is due to the fact that he knew that the pressure was there on Chelsea and on Manchester City after the way they've started the season and Chelsea dropping points. Liverpool knew that if they had managed to get a win or even a draw against West Ham, they would have closed the gap. Interestingly enough, go back and watch his post-match interview in the 3-3 draw that Liverpool had against Brentford. Oh, it's only little old Brentford. And at that point in time, nothing was really levelling out in terms of the way the table looked. You know, it was a great game. Liverpool 3, Brentford 3. Jurgen Klopp was smiling after the game. What an amazing um, match it was. 3-3, six goals. Brentford were brilliant. They played their part. They kept coming at us. We kept coming back at them. But as soon as it went the other way and West Ham beat Liverpool at the weekend and West Ham are now throwing a spanner into the works, being in the top four and putting the cat amongst the pigeons, Jurgen Klopp is back on his soapbox again complaining about referees. Why are you whinging about referees? Your goalkeeper was abysmal absolutely awful and I know you're not going to come out and slam your goalkeeper you're going to defend your players but sometimes you just need to admit that the other team has been better than you and I don't see that enough from Jurgen Klopp listen there's nothing wrong with being a sore loser he's a remarkable manager he's done great things for the Premier League and for Liverpool but he's my villain this week because sometimes he just needs to show a little bit of humility and admit when he's been beaten by a better team and a better performance some great picks today. I'm on board with all of these. Uh, right, my villain from the weekend is Harry Maguire for coming out after the Manchester United loss at the weekend against Manchester City, where Manchester United were absolutely abject, by the way, and his comments that the team have lost belief, which I don't have a problem with in itself, him coming out and being honest and say, we weren't acting like we can win. But it was his comments being relayed back to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer after the match, which I think was the particularly painful bit. Do you remember the episode of The Simpsons where Ralph gives Lisa a Valentine's Day card and she rejects it and kind of then, <laughs> then they play the video back and you can see the moment Ralph's heart breaks. Do you, <laughs> yeah, do you know yeah, the yeah. bit I'm talking about? Yeah. So that was exactly what Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's face was like when the, when the interviewer talked to him after the game and said, Harry Maguire says that your team lack belief. <laughs> And it's like you can see his heart ripping apart. And he goes, they said that? <laughs> in his kind of... Um, his weird accent. Yeah, his Norwegian, Norwegian Manchester Manc accent. accent. And he looked strange. absolutely crestfallen and kind of had to explain his way out of it. Um, but I think that is probably a big part of where Manchester United's problems lie at the moment. I think there is a little bit of a lack of belief amongst the players. And whether it's a lack of belief in their own ability or whether it's a lack of belief in whether the manager can set them up in a way to win these games, which... They should be competing and they should be winning. I think that's a, a real telltale sign of Manchester United season. So Harry Maguire is my villain from the weekend's action. 
Marley, wrap us up. Take us home. Wrap us up. It wouldn't be a podcast that I've been on if I didn't get a dig in at Newcastle. Somehow would it? So my villain of the week end is uh, John Joe Shelby for something very specific. Um, and if you follow me on Twitter, you, you've probably already seen me moaning about this. Um, <laughs> but at the weekend, obviously, we we weren't in the game in the first half. We were awful. Got back into it in the second half and then should have won it when uh, Robert Sanchez decided to trip up uh, Callum Wilson when he'd gone round him and had an open goal in front of him. Mm. So v- my villain could have been uh, Robert Sanchez for, for ankle-tapping uh, Wilson as he went round him and costing me minus one point to my fantasy team as well, the ball bag. Um, <laughs> yeah, everyone's got him, I think. He's like the most on goalie. Um, but it's it's Shelby for the resulting free kick. Because it happened in like ninety, uh, 90th minute, 91st minute, something like that. Um, and because they'd used the three subs, Brighton, they went down to 10 men um, and Lewis Dunk went in goal. Six foot five fella, could barely get the gloves on. Um, took him about five minutes to pull them gloves on. Do you know what though? He's the most goalkeeper looking non-goalkeeper there's ever been. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? He actually looks more like a keeper than and than <laughs> a defender. Yeah. He'd have put... I'd, I wouldn't have put Neil Morpe in. He wouldn't, couldn't have touched the uh, crossbar, could he? So, uh, but put big dunk in goal. Um, and the resulting free kick wasn't in a shooting position. However, when you've got an outfielder in goal, you shoot. That's all you do. It's 90 minutes of, of gone. So the one thing you have to do is get that ball as close to the, to the box as you can and mm. see what happens because you have no idea what's going to happen. But there's an 80% chance he's going to make a ricket of it and completely balls it up. And instead of... Um, whipping something with pace and 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 uh, speed on the ball and getting it on target or sort of floating it, you know, one of them goal, them free kicks that floats towards the back post and everyone might leave it and it goes in. Wasn't one of them. Instead, John Joe Shelby laces it, um, like floats it to the back post, like nowhere near, sort of towards the edge of the eighteen yard box, when Dunk's just there in goal, thinking, Christ, I've got to, I've, I must have, to, I'm gonna have to do something here. And Shelby just floats it to the back post and Brighton head it away. It was a very bizarre choice of free kick, as yeah. you say. It was like, it, there was no effort to put the keeper under any pressure at all. Yeah, and if you've seen Match of the Day and you've seen, if on the on the actual highlights package, you've seen what happened with the, um, with the trip and the red card. And then the next highlight was when, was from five minutes later. Like the, that free kick didn't even make the highlights. They had to point it out in the analysis and say... What's he doing here? Because and they were they were spot on. And I'm glad it got called out because it was the most brain dead thing I've ever heard. Like even if you're 40 yards out, it's a two man wall. Just smack it and like make it skip along the floor, something like that. Get it on target, and there's a chance Lewis Uncle go down in instalments and not get it and not save it, and you, you win the game from there. But Shelby's like, now I'm going to float it to the back post, hope we win the header, and then hope we win the second ball to then shoot on goal. Well, absolutely Mar- pointless. Marley's. Regular Newcastle whinge wraps up today's podcast. We need to make the most of these whinges whilst we still can. Who knows? In twelve months' time, you could be talking about Champions League football and whatnot. You've got a good few months left, I think. Right, that is it for today's Football Social Daily. Click subscribe so you never miss another episode. We do these every single day, keeping you abreast of everything that's going on in the Premier League. Even during the forthcoming international break, we will be here. So click subscribe or follow wherever you find your podcasts, and we'll see you for the next one. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Step into the world of power, loyalty 
and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.